Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon. And this is Kim of Black Free Thinkers. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself not convert you. I'll say that one more time. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. So it's been a lot happening, you know, not only this week, but, you know, even before this week, there were things that were going on that I haven't had a chance to address. Some things I'm not sure if I'm going to address or not, but we shall see. And so today's show, I wanted to go into the full text of my talk at the Freedom from Religion Foundation Conference, the 40th anniversary of the 40th conference they had, or convention. And I had 30 minutes there, and I think some of you all may have had a chance to watch the video. Um, It's available for you out there. You know, Freedom from Religion Foundation was wonderful. Um, they were nothing but compassionate and kind and understanding. I will honestly say that that was one of the best organized conferences that I have ever attended. doesn't matter what genre it was. It was one of the best on time, had something for everyone, um, very caring, very respectful, So I would like to thank Annie Laurie and Dan for being, you know, wonderful hosts and, you know, people that spoke to me, you know, after my talk asking questions. Thank you so much for being hospitable and being respectful of, you know, who I am and my situation, and I appreciate that. And I just think it's important to acknowledge that there are some good, wonderful people in the secular community. And, you know, sometimes when I get to talking on my show and I start talking about these issues, unfortunately you have some people that would like to take what I say and make it seem as though I am generalizing the entire community. And that's not true. As they say, the squeaky wheel gets the oil, right, or the grease. And what happens is you have small sets of people who make trouble, who create issues, create problems, what have you. And unfortunately, those are the ones that get the most attention. And what's interesting is is when we don't address some of these issues, then those issues begin to fester, and and many times they begin to get infected and start to grow and starts overlapping into other groups and and cultures, and it's just really, really interesting. 
you know, when I start looking at these things and I look back to when I first started this show and how we've transitioned and how we've transitioned and how we've transitioned some more. And that is part of that metamorphosis, you know, that that I'm talking about because it's like, okay, you're thinking you're doing just fine and then all of a sudden you get kind of caught up and now now you're in a situation in which, you know, you're you're looking at your situation, you're trying to develop, you're trying to grow, you're trying to evolve. And sometimes when you're in that position, you kind of have to isolate yourself so that you can kind of pull it together and get a better understanding of what is happening to you, which in turn helps you to get a better understanding as to what's happening around you. And so once you feel as though you have that footing, many of us, you know, leave the cocoon, if you will, to to try to go out here and to try to share what we've learned and and in some cases, you know, what was, you know, and so, um, you know, there are a lot of people that I would like to thank, but, you know, this is not a dedication show. You know, there are some very real issues that need to be addressed. But, you know, again, I wanted to thank Annie Laurie and Dan for the marvelous work that they're doing with Freedom From Religion Foundation. I would like to thank their members and their supporters and all of the people out there. And one of the things that one of the lessons that I learned while at this particular conference was something that I kind of knew already and I had already done some research, but it was really nice to hear their legal team talking about how they reach across the aisle to bring forth attention to these legal issues that are out here regarding the separation of church and state. And so, you know, it's really interesting because you all have heard me talk about the Mormon church and about the Scientology church and their outreach for the separation of church and state. Now, these different groups have different objectives and different reasons for wanting the separation of church and state. So I want to make sure that that's understood. But um, in the meanwhile, you still have secular organizations that are standing up, that are, you know, bringing these issues to light, and it's important that we recognize them. And so I wanted to do that, you know, initially at the beginning of this conversation. Now, we're going to get into the show in a few minutes, but there are a few things that I want to recognize and bring your attention to. And so they say people tend to remember the first and last things that they hear. So this wasn't necessarily the order in which I wanted to present this show today, but I think it's important that I do so. So over the weekend, there was a march, a rally in Washington, D.C., and I had every intention of being there. And it's just a lot of things are going on. A friend of mine and I we were making the plans, and life happened. Life happened for her. Life happened for me. You know, after all of the activity of that conference weekend, right after that, we had about five or six days of 90-plus degree weather. And so with my particular illness, 
that type of heat, and especially with the humidity here in Chicago, and I had appointments that I had to get to, it just totally wiped me out physically. And so, um, you know, I went to see the doctor, and I got the flu shot, and that was all she wrote. But there was a march in D.C. this weekend, and it was extremely important. You know, it was a march for racial justice, and it was a march for black women. And if you want to take a look, go and look for the hashtag, hashtag M, the number four, RJ, and the other hashtag is M, the number four, BW. So March for Racial Justice, March for Black Women. And what happened here is there were two marches that were planned for this particular weekend in D.C., and they were two separate marches. However, they came together, formed an alliance, and even though there were two marches, they met up at Lincoln Park. And so, you know, you have that alliance going on, and you had different reasons for these particular marches. And one thing that I do want people to understand is that looking at the political and social climate, culture climate that's taking place in this country, it is imperative that you pay attention to what is happening to black women, women of color, specifically black women, and how we're being attacked and vilified and demonized, particularly under this Trump administration, right? And this is needed because, again, we've talked about how black women and girls are being incarcerated at the same rate, if not more, than black men and boys. And when we talk about that, people just kind of look at us like we're making it up. It's not statistics are out there. Hell, many you don't even need statistics. Ask the people in your neighborhood. What happened to some of these folks? I saw her a couple of months. She's gone now. So, I mean, it's very important. And unfortunately, Issues that are important to black women and girls are often put on a back burner or factored out of the conversation, and this was one of the reasons why there were some conflicts with the Women's March in January, and that was one of the reasons why I kind of sat out that march. I showed up, but I was on the outskirts, and, you know, as far as, like, where the march ended, because it was packed in Chicago. And I knew I wouldn't be able to do the crowd, but I wasn't going to go initially for um, a couple of reasons. But I decided that I wanted to honor um, the women of color that helped to organize that particular march. So it was important that I showed up. But I want you guys to go out and read some of the articles that are out here about the march that gives you more information on how you can contact um, the people that organize the marches, the women, you know, that organize these particular marches, and how to contact them, how to support them, how to encourage them, 
how to motivate them, and then also, you know, you can get some advice, some input as to how you can support and motivate and help the women that are in your family, you know, your spouses, your significant others, you know, just the woman that lives up the street, you know, that you respect. And even if you don't respect them, I mean, you know, if we're all not free, as they say, none of us are free. And so it's just important that we put the spotlight on these particular issues and why we are having these marches and why we are having these rallies. And then also put together some some resolutions. I mean, it may not be the ultimate resolution or the ultimate answers, but we have to start somewhere, right? And so um, – it's important that we support one another, and I was thrilled to see, you know, the footage and to watch the tweets and to see what's happening, what was happening out there. And so, um, yeah, you know, Black Women's Blueprint, you know, did a fantastic job putting this together. I remember um, speaking about this march at least a couple of months ago because it's been in the works for a little while. And, um, you know, it was just really interesting because I saw people posting the link, and I know I posted it on my wall. And what was so interesting, it was one of those cricket and tumbleweed situations, whereas, you know, you can get more likes on a status update talking about what you had for lunch than you will for bringing attention to issues such as this. And so, you know, we see that, and we do pay attention to these things. And, you know, I just think that it's pitiful. And I, you know, sometimes I just shake my head and I can't understand what's happening out here. But anyway, there were thousands of people that converged upon Washington, D.C. to support black women and to support racial justice. And so I think it's important that we understand that and we continue to support these people in in any way that we can. And, you know, that's not always financial. And for some people, that's not the route that they can or want to take. But there are other ways to support, and we've talked about those ways here so post the information, share it around, um, encourage someone. I mean, you know, if you're at work and, um, you know, you see someone, and it doesn't have to, it doesn't matter if they're a man or a woman, and it seems as if, you know, something is on their mind, just try to say something encouraging. You know, say something motivational. You know, to kind of brighten their day just a little bit. It goes a long way. And, you know, because people are out here and they are hurting. And it's important that you guys understand that because you're not out here by yourself. You're not alone. Um, And these issues aren't going to go away. It doesn't matter how much you try to wish them away. It doesn't matter how many times you try to not talk about it, hoping that it will go away on its own. 
and it's only becoming more magnified under this particular administration. And it would behoove you to pay attention and to stand up for what was right. And so, you know, again, go out, do some reading about the, you know, March for Black Women, the March for Racial Justice this past weekend in D.C., and I applaud, you know, the people that were able to make it. And, you know, I got to put together a package to send to them some type of donation. Um, Yeah, definitely some type of donation um, to encourage them to continue on with the fight. You know, that the struggle is real, we're still in it, but we're seeing more and more people starting to stand up. So I don't want you to be discouraged out there. There are more people that are standing up. There are more people being vocal. There are more people that are really willing to reach out, and it's important that you understand that. And one other thing, I know people have been inboxing and emailing me and all of that. I see it. But, again, like I said, I was under the weather, so I wanted to make sure that I kind of pulled myself together before I started responding to some of these things. And I think I reached out to a couple of people, and they responded, and I haven't responded back. I'm not ignoring you. It's just that sometimes when I get like this, kind of best that I deal with the situation and the illness. And so, um, you know, for those of you who aren't aware, I have lupus. So... Life in and of itself can be very difficult, especially when I'm going through one of these flares, which was exacerbated by the crazy-ass weather. So we have that. And, you know, I wanted to make sure people understood that, and that's why I made that the first topic that I wanted to talk about, that March for Black Women was extremely important. It's not the first and it won't be the last, and and they did honor the Million Woman March that took place in this country 20 years ago. And was it 20 or 25? They honored the um, black, I'm sorry, y'all, forgive me. They honored the Million Women Black March, you know, Black Women March that took place. And you know, go and read up on that, and, you know, we're making strides one day at a time. So um, Washington Post had an article talking about let the black women lead. Um, There was an article on The Root talking about thousands descend on Washington, D.C. for the March for Black Women. Um, You know, you just have all these different articles out there. Teen Vogue had one, March for Black Women and March for Racial Justice joins forces in D.C., and it was another one in Slate talking about the march. And, um, you know, go out there, do some reading, do some research on your own. It's okay. That's what I want you to do, and that's why I encourage you guys to go out there and, you know, do some learning, a learning and a learning. You know, it only makes you better. And... As I've stated before, if you are out here and you call yourself an activist or an organizer or, you know, what have you, and and especially if you have a public profile, if you are not growing and developing 
intellectually, spinning your wheels. So what out here? What are you out here doing? What are you really contributing? And it's not so much about contributing to other people and other movements. It's about making contributions to yourself. So if you're not growing and evolving personally, but you feel as though you're out here and you're motivating others and they're growing because of you, well, I guess the question is, how much are they really growing? Because, you know, one thing that I've learned as as I developed and grew into my womanhood is one of the mistakes that I made was trying to feed into other people and doing a certain type of emotional labor in in my giving or what I thought I was giving and and sharing into other people in their lives. When I you know, when I sit back and I retrospect on that and I saw how I wasn't feeding into myself, feeding into my life, growing and and, and developing. And while they may have learned some things and they may have grown and they may have evolved in certain ways, I suffered. And how can you be of help and be of encouragement to others when on the inside you're dying and you're rotting? And so that's an entirely different conversation, and that was not what I had planned to say and talk about today, but, you know, again, that's part of this particular journey that I'm going on. And even with my talk, you know, I talk about my journey in the secular social justice and religious communities, but, you know, I would be disingenuous if I did not talk about just a journey within myself, you know, um, some introspection there, um, some retrospection on my life, you know, going back and looking at some of the decisions that I made and some of the choices that I made and the consequences of those decisions and choices. And then there were situations in which the, the choice was taken away from me. And so naturally, my response in many situations like that is through anger. And that's something that I've learned how to control for the most part. I have my moments. But um, it's important, you know, that we grow. And that's across the board. I'm talking to men and women, boys and girls, people who identify as they. You know, and it's okay. So anyway, you know, yeah, support Black Women's Blueprint, and what they did this weekend was phenomenal. I applaud them. I applaud their efforts. I applaud their successes. And when they put together their post-mortem, you know, they'll be able to take a look at that and to grow because there are going to be more marches. There are going to be more movements. You know, it's not just going to stop. And so you need to understand that as well. 
And so let me see here. I'm already, what, 23 minutes in. So it's a few things because I wanted to get into the topic right at about 3.30. So I'm going to go ahead and push forward. And what I want to tell you guys is pay attention to what's happening in Puerto Rico. It's important that you do that. I think we're going to do a show this week talking about what's happening in Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands, the U.S. Virgin Islands, in regards to the response of the hurricane and the response to, you know, Florida, Louisiana, Texas, as opposed to the response in Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands and the blackout on mainstream America and, um, you know, what's going on over there. You saw the mayor of San Juan. She was literally begging them to send resources over there and how it had been botched. And what's so interesting is the White House released, hold on a second here, because I want to make sure you all hear this, and I want to make sure I get this right. But what took place was, you know, so you've seen this somewhat back and forth going on with Trump, and the mayor of San Juan is not responding to him, which is a good thing, but that doesn't mean that he's going to let it go. And so what happened was, there was a conversation that was had with you know between the administration and the former governor of Puerto Rico. Now, mind you, I want to make sure you heard me right. The former governor of Puerto Rico and the former governor apparently stated that you know he thought that things and recovery was going well. And so, you know, the White House released that summary of Trump's call with that particular former governor, and I retweeted that out, but you all want to go and take a look at that. And so it's called Readout of President Donald Trump's Phone Call with the Former Governor in Puerto Rico on Hurricane Irma. And also, please be aware that there is another hurricane a-coming. And I believe that Puerto Rico is in the line of fire, if you will. So, you know, for those of you that are out there, please donate. They need the help. They need it desperately. Um, You can find, you know, a lot of different people out there. I would tell you to go and take a look at um, Rosie Perez and a number of um, Latino activists that are out there and see who they're recommending to give donations to. And, again, I, I'm, you know, I, you all know this about it. I'm really leery of giving donations to Salvation Army and places like that because of how top-heavy they are administratively and also, you know, the precedent that's been set. You know, not all of that money gets to where it needs to be. And so it's important that you recognize that and we reach out and we help send resources and supplies. Um, There are a couple of groups here in Chicago. I sent them some coins. You know, put that out there. You know, help these people out. They need help. And what was interesting is someone brought up a tweet that Michael Eric Dyson put out there, and he was talking about the brown people in Puerto Rico. And for the record, 
and I'm sure he knows this. I know he knows this. You know, there are black and brown people in Puerto Rico, and, you know, we've talked about Afro-Latinos on this show. We talked about, you know, the only difference between a Puerto Rican, a Haitian, a Dominican, a black American and and other people is a boat stop. That's the only difference between us. We have the same ancestors, you know, and and many of them, you know, they do recognize that black great grandma or great great grandma. Some of them don't, but many of them do. And so I think it's important that we do not allow others or people that have been other to fall through the cracks in these conversations. So I just wanted to bring that up and to let you know that, um, no, it's a collective effort, you know, and and it's important that we recognize that. And in addition to that, oh, what I found, you know, really interesting, pay attention to what's happening over in Spain with Catalonia and how they're shutting these protests down, you know, and that's been taking place over the weekend. And, you know, people are like, why are you always talking about these other countries and what's happening over there? And, oh, yeah, for those who haven't figured it out, Puerto Rico is a part of the United States. I didn't think I would ever have to say that. Virgin Islands, too. Okay, so anyway, what's happening over in Spain is very important. Also, there are some developments that are taking place in Europe as well. And and what's so interesting is, you know, you have some Americans that will talk about these things and say, well, that's those people over there. No, it's all of us because the issues that they're facing over there, it's only a matter of time before it gets here. People were looking at me cross-eyed when I kept posting articles about the Nazis and the racism taking place in Europe and Germany and Italy and all of those places over there in France, when I said Europe, I meant France, and, um, and, and look at what just happened. Look at what just happened with the election of Trump, right? So it's important. When I post those things, I'm doing it for a reason although I haven't really been posting in the past month. And sometimes I just got to take a break, you know, and I don't know. You know, I'll get there. We'll get back on track. But um, but then it's also a lot more happening in my life right now. So I'm kind of being spread thin, and we are at the 3.30 mark. So, um a few things I want to hit on. Again, I'm going to take an extra five minutes. You need to pay attention, again, to Puerto Rico and the politicians in this country because what's happening now is lawmakers are being restricted from visiting Puerto Rico and Virgin Islands. And that should, should raise some flags there. And the White House is restricting you know, the lawmakers from visiting Puerto Rico and the U.S. Virgin Islands, they're saying they're doing that because of the devastation and because they need the resources there to distribute the food and the water and, and the gas and the diesel and all of that. 
you know, but I think it's something a little bit more nefarious happening with that as well. So, um, you know, insidious. Yeah, keep your eye on that. Don't lose focus. And also, you know, um, I'm going to get to that. I also want you guys to go out, and there's an article, and it's talking about how Donald Trump is slow to implement, or the Trump administration is slow in implementing the policies and sanctions that have been put in place against Russia and other countries. I'm going to post that a little bit later, but, you know, you have that, you have the failed health care repeal, you have, you know, the the critique responses to the hurricane. And the reason why I framed it that way is that no one, you know, had a second thought about lifting the Jones Act in regards to Florida, Louisiana, or Texas. But it took a public outcry to raise that Jones Act for Puerto Rico. And you need to pay attention to what's happening. You know, uh, (laughs) it's it's interesting because Donald Trump is supposed to go there Tuesday. Let's see how many of his fellow politicians he will take with him. And so, you know, guys, I'm just, you know, just totally floored at what's been going on. And it was interesting on Saturday Night Live last night when they made comments about Donald Trump and what's happening in Puerto Rico. They were telling Donald to tell Melania to put on her heel pumps and get on over there. And, you know, only reason why I didn't laugh at that is because of the fact that there are lives. People are being harmed. People are dying, you know, and it's not a laughing matter. And so, you know, I need for you all to pay attention to these things. Um, the article that I was going to talk about as far as, you know, implementing the, the laws and the sanctions and all of that, the countries are Russia, Iran, and North Korea, and how the Trump administration is being really slow in implementing these particular sanctions and laws. You can find that on Reuters. You know, so on the Reuters website, Trump's slow to implement Russia, Iran, North Korea sanction laws, and it's a really, really good article. And it's important that you all understand that because last week on the show, when I was talking about the, you know, stand and deliver or take a knee, I did say that this NFL thing was a distraction. And it is to a certain degree. But I also said on the show, that, you know, I'm wondering what some of these people are kneeling for. Because initially when Colin Kaepernick was kneeling, it was about state-sanctioned violence. You know, that systemic systemic racism, institutional racism, police brutality, you know, school-to-prison pipeline, all of those things. Poverty, homelessness, gentrification, all of that state-sanctioned violence. And so, you know, it's really interesting, and this is why I'm telling people you need to really pay attention to what's going on out here because 
you get lost in a shuffle. And unfortunately, Trump has been able to basically co-opt what Colin Kaepernick was was doing and the message that he was putting out there. They've managed to co-opt that particular movement and and to turn this into an issue of patriotism and Trump. When that's not the case, and like I said last week, I do not want us to lose sight of the real reason why Colin Kaepernick was kneeling. And so, you know, two, three, four generations from now, you're going to have some white people out there saying, well, I supported Colin the entire time, and, you know, and he was great and wonderful. And they didn't support him. They don't support him now. And they did the same thing with Muhammad Ali, and I noted that on the show after Muhammad Ali passed on. And I said, you know, they didn't start loving Muhammad Ali until he couldn't talk anymore, and they really fell in love when he died. So you need to pay attention to that. And what's so interesting, I do need to mention something that happened last week on the show. And so what happened on the show last week was we had a caller call in, and he was a bit upset with the article that Damon wrote on Very Smart Brothers. And basically it was talking about black men basically being the white people of the black community. And so, you know, I was stretching. I was trying to figure out how to make it so that it kind of fit in with what we were talking about the topic of last week. And I'm struggling, y'all. I was <laughs> struggling. And so what was interesting about the conversation is basically we ended up, you know, not we, he ended up focusing on apparently this collection of hetero black male penises. Now, I don't know who's out here collecting you know, bags of hetero black male penises, but I'm pretty sure it's frowned upon in this country. And I'm not sure about other places, but I'm going to have to do some research. I mean, I know in some countries, if you behead people and you take the heads and place them on your mantle, that's a sign of virility, but I've never heard of people collecting hetero black male penises um, in this country as a hobby. And so, yeah, you know, what was interesting about that phone call was when he made a comment about, you know, this is Brother Warren there, he made a comment about white moderates, progressive liberal moderates, white liberals, who were still, how can I put it, still bitter and nursing hurt feelings for being, as he stated, kicked out of the civil rights movement, um, I probably would frame it more along the lines who um, I would say that their role or roles within the black power civil rights movement were reduced due to the fact that, unfortunately, and we see this now, when you allow some allies to have power, they tend to take that power 
in that privilege and run with it. And 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 unfortunately, we've seen them, you know, co-op movements appropriate the language, appropriate the 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 um, culture, a number of things. And so, you know, I'm familiar with some of it. I've done some reading on it, but when he brought it up, it just, you know, because I know I've talked about it a little bit here and there on the show. What he did is he reminded me, and I made some notes, and I'm going to do some more research on that because that's a very good topic to have, and it's a very good thing to talk about so that allies today, you know, can get a better understanding as to why. Because I remember specifically talking about white allies and what was happening when Black Lives Matter um, just kind of just bust on a scene there, right? And and how some of the white allies were hurt because they were pushed to the outside and how the microphones were being taken away from them and put into the faces of the black people that were there protesting. And that was done for a reason, and it needed to be done. And what I need for some of the white allies to understand is that it's not personal. You know, it's, it's not personal at all, you know, but yet it's very personal because they're out here killing black, brown, red, yellow, you know, and white people. But what we're seeing more and more on the news, or we used to until the Trump administration got into office, we were seeing, you know, primarily black and brown people being killed by the police. And so, and I know I've talked about this on the show, um, indigenous Native Americans are being killed and incarcerated or killed at five times the rate. And I've encouraged you guys to go out and to do some research into that to get a better understanding of what's happening. But there are reasons for that. And that's a conversation that I really, really, truly want to have um, on this show. I need to go and get some more books and do some more research on that. But I have so much going on in my life right now that is, is making some of this very difficult. So, you know, um, I'm going to start wrapping this up. Instead of taking 30 minutes, I took 45 minutes. And considering the amount of material that I have for that talk, because I whittled it all the way down, um, this talk was going to be a show originally. And so when I was approached um, and, and, you know, someone gave me a call and asked me if I was interested and, you know, I made some calls to some friends and allies, and I'm like, well, what do you think of this? And these are people that were very aware of my feelings and my stance on, number one, having these types of conversations with white people. And when I say that, what I mean is, We've been there, we've done that. We've talked and we've talked and we've talked. And we haven't seen much progress. And, you know, and and I'll get more into that a little bit later on, but, you know, they encouraged me. They said, Kim, you need to do it, and this is why. And so um, I'm just looking at everything that's going on around us, you know, 
and we need to just pay attention. Because what's interesting is, you know, what they're telling these these athletes is, you know, demonstrate on your own time. Don't demonstrate when you're at work. But they didn't have a damn thing to say when Kim Davis refused to give a marriage certificate to same-gender-loving couples, right? And so it was okay when she protested at work, when she defied the Supreme Court. That was okay, right? And that's just one example of many. And what I need for you all to understand is that there is no form of protest by black and brown and red people that will ever be acceptable in this country. And when and when you have these athletes kneeling, and it's not just professional athletes, you have, you know, um, you know, college athletes, you have high schoolers, you got all of that happening. And 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 Donald Trump and what he's doing, basically, you know, he doesn't want you to kneel showing protest of any sort, you know, not giving any hope or any type, you know, just an inkling of hope to to a lot of people out here who feel as though they've been forgotten about, who feel as though they have been pissed and shitted on, who feel as though nobody gives a fuck. You want to take the little bit of hope and faith that they have and say that these people can't take a knee against state-sanctioned violence? Really? Only thing they want you to kneel before and bow to is white supremacy, and that is what I'm hearing. Whenever I hear Donald Trump talk about these athletes, and it's not only just athletes. You have veterans. You have people that are in the military now. You have a lot of people that are out here. One of the most poignant memes that I saw going around this weekend was of a veteran black soldier who had the flag folded up neatly, and he took a knee when the Trump motorcade went by. Now, that was powerful. And when I saw it, it just gave me chills. But the only thing they really want you bowing and taking a knee to and kissing the ass off is white supremacy. And you all need to know that. You need to speak out. And one thing I will say about some of the articles that I read about the March for Black Women, the March for um, Social, I'm sorry, for Racial Justice, was there were some white people that were out there and they admitted that their silence was them being complicit. And as I've stated before, being not racist, being non-racist is not enough. You must be anti-racist. And so, you know, I'm getting into all of this, and I'm going to transition. But it's just so many things that are happening out here. You have these damn politicians that are scared of their base. And let me tell you why they're scared of their base. Because there's more of us than there are of them. And we actually have more power than many of us realize. And I've been saying for a long time, vote their asses out, take away the incentives. Once you are not a senator or representative or any of those things anymore, take away, you know, the, the uh, the fact that they get a percentage of their salaries for the rest of their lives, that you know, the Cadillac plan, health care, 
snatch it back. They don't need it. They don't deserve it. They don't do what you want them to do, vote their asses out. And that especially, I'm especially pointing that at Rahm Emanuel and these politicians here in Chicago. We got a big-ass mess here politically. And I don't know what they're going to do when these tips come due. Because it's right around the corner, and we're talking billions upon billions of dollars, but I'm not going there today. You know, but, you know, again, they're changing the dialogue, they're changing the narrative, and and basically they want to control the narrative, and that is what they're doing, and we're allowing them to do it. And it's only going to destroy us in the end and make it even harder for us to get from point A to point B. And so when you hear him calling these, you know, athletes, you know, these people ingrates, and he called the mayor of San Juan an ingrate and that she was just out here whining and the Democrats convinced her to say something nasty about him. You need to pay attention to how he talks about people of color and especially how he talks about black women and women of color. And where the hell is Omarosa, girl? Where are you at? Not that you're going to stand up and say anything, but where are you at, Omarosa? I've been looking for you. Ain't seen you in a minute, child. What's going on over there? So anyway, um, you know, I'm still tripping about the bag of straight black penises that people are collecting around this country. You know, I know what to do with that. I tried, y'all. I tried. You know, it's like I prepare myself for different people when they call into the show, and I try to be ready, especially for the trolls and all of that, but I wasn't ready for that last week. So anyway, you know, again, go out and read the article. The article was not <laughs> encouraging civil disobedience and, and you know, emasculating and, and – <laughs> turning black men into, you know, hetero black men into eunuchs or anything. That's that's not what the article was about, you know, and it's just unfortunate that you have people out here that would take a headline and run with it, and they have every right to do so. But... Again, like I stated, you know, I'm very familiar with Damon's writing, and I've been writing, reading his his articles, you know, for years now. And I've met him, and he's a very nice young man. And, you know, that doesn't mean that I agree with everything he has to say. But I don't want his words taken out of context, and I don't want people crucifying him and the same thing happened with the son of Baldwin when he wrote an article about Let Them Die. And he was talking about Scalise and how Scalise was shot. And interestingly enough, he returned back to Congress this week. And that's all I'm going to say about that. But, um, yeah, you know, you all need to realize that what's happening with Donald Trump now is he's, you know, reviving his White Lives Matter movement and feeding red meat to um, his people, you know. And so as long as you understand that, as long as you know what's happening and why this is happening, you know, I think you'll be able to, you know, move forward on this and have a better understanding of what's happening. Now, let me tell you what's next. 
what I think is going to happen next. And the only reason why I'm thinking this is because today I was watching MSNBC and some of the talking heads and, you know, Joy, the Joy Reid show, AM Joy, and what is this chick's name? Pam Bondi. I think she's she's some type of legal representative of some sort. I don't know if she's the attorney general, whatever the hell she is. She's down there in Florida. And they released OJ this morning, y'all. I hope you see where I'm coming from with this. But um, basically, you know, she's on these talk shows talking tough about if you see OJ drinking, if you see him, you know, doing anything that you would consider as a violation of his parole, you contact them because they're going to keep him in line and they're going to make him stay on a straight and narrow. And, and all of these things, it's about control. It's about controlling black and brown bodies as well as controlling black and brown minds. I need you to understand this. Yes, this metamorphosis show is going to be a two-parter. Why? Because I can't let this other shit go to get into this talk the way that I want to get into this talk. And so, you know, y'all, I don't know. I just, it's been so much, and like I said, I spent so much time away, and then there are other things that are happening, and, you know, it's it's amazing. It's amazing. It, it amazes me that you have white people out here, especially some of these allies, that will walk up to us and say, well, you know, these people should be grateful. You should be grateful that you're in this country and that you – look, like I said last week on the show, some of them feel as though they gave money to these athletes. It's not like, you know, they don't feel as though these athletes earned their money or any of these celebrities earned their money. They feel like they gave it to them, that that's a gift, and that in turn you are beholden to them. And see, I've seen this over the years. This is one of the reasons why I won't take money from some of these people. That is specifically why. Because some of them feel as though they give you money, they give you resources, they give you, you know, they give you some legitimacy, whatever the hell it is that you owe them. And you don't. And so... This really, it just pisses me off. But now, you know, to be honest with you, I'm waiting on Trump to start tweeting at O.J. Simpson and getting his White Lives Matter movement people all riled up against that shit. I'm waiting. Not a damn thing surprises me anymore. One thing I do say is that we better get together. And that's all of us. Because, again, there are more of us than there are of them. We can demand. We've seen it. It's happened before. And demand the changes that we want. And so let me take a breath because, I mean, shit, y'all, I need you to pay attention. And I need you to be vocal. So anyway, you know, I'm going to put away some of these notes, and we're going to try it again next week. And so let me get off into the show. Um, Again, I must say Mark Burns is an asshole. You all know who Mark Burns is, that pastor that's out here shucking and driving for Donald Trump. Saw him on MSNBC today. 
talking about law and order and all kinds of bullshit. And, you know, I'm going to get on that Uncle Ruckus. You know, now I don't debate, and y'all know I don't debate, but I'd like to debate his ass. The only problem is he's like a lot of people, especially a lot of men, they feel as though if they talk louder than you and talk over you and not allow you to talk, they think that they're winning. They had to mute Mark Burns on MSNBC. It was the most interesting thing I had seen all morning. So anyway, all right. So let me read the intro for today's show. Metamorphosis, this is part one. I will update the show to say that. Part two next week. So it says, please join me Sunday as I present the entire FFRF talk on my journey in the secular social justice and religious communities, just a few observations, a few warnings, and the final release. Um, I'm completing another metamorphosis, and it's time to shift again, build, and grow. And where that build and grow comes from, you know, this is not written here, but where that build and grow comes from is from what Elaine Brown stated when she made, when, when she made reference to Black Lives Matter. And that happened during the Black Panther Party 50th anniversary last year, and I was there. And I saw her when she said that, and it makes perfect sense, build and grow. And so anyway, thank you for the support, well wishes, hate, indifference, and much more has shown me quite a bit about the state of the human condition. Most importantly, it helped me to realize who I am, challenge myself, evolve, grow intellectually, and find comfort in who I am and what I'm looking to achieve. Thank you. And that thank you goes out even to people that hate me, hate what I'm talking about, hating what I got to say, all of that. I'm all right with it. So thank you. Because all you do is motivate me to keep moving forward, motivate me to continue to think critically and to break down some of this bullshit y'all putting out here because it's been, it's been a ride, y'all. It's been a ride. And when I'm talking about, you know, I'm talking about across the board, black, white, red, yellow, blue, green, purple, just across the board. And so what I do want to make sure that you all know, and, and Annie Laurie was very, very kind, and she, after my talk, she announced and she told, you know, the conference participants, observers that were there, she let them know that I had donated my entire honorarium and that it was the second time in the 40-plus year history of Freedom from Religion Foundation. It was only the second time that someone has done that. And so um, I want to make sure you guys know the three organizations that I donated the money to. And so one is Black Youth Project, and this is a project that is being directed by Dr. Charlene Carruthers. And if you've listened to this show, you've heard me heap praise on these babies. They are doing a stand-up job. I love them. And she's doing a great job with them. So I want you to go out and send some support their way. And for those of you that are 35 and under, you may want to look into this organization and, and you know, participating with them. Unfortunately, the day you turn 35, 
you know, you graduate to a whole new world. So, um, you know, good people, good people. Um, they, I think Rain even posted an article on my wall yesterday in which um, it was written by, you know, a writer for Black Youth Project, and it was talking about people living with HIV and AIDS and finding acceptance and and relationships and all of that, and I have not had a chance to read it. I haven't had a chance to touch it, and the reason why I know it's there is because Raina called me and told me she put it there. And so I know when I talk to Raina, she tells me these things that is absolutely golden. So if she thought enough of it to put it on my wall, I 100% support it, read it, pass it around. Um, the second organization that, and I sent Black Youth Project money a couple of years ago. No, it wasn't a couple of years. It was last year from a talk. No, it was the year before. Sorry about that, guys. The year before of a talk that I made, and so – Anyway, Asada's Daughter is the second organization, and Asada's Daughters is a mentorship program for young women of color. And it's very important, and what this organization is doing is, is transforming lives, doing phenomenal work, you know, and, and, and helping these young women develop and, and helping to raise their self-esteem and helping to build them up as leaders, you know, and, and this program is like a beacon of light and it's much needed. We hear so much about black men and boys, but not nearly enough about black girls and women. And so I wanted to uplift this particular organization, and I'm going to be sending more donations their way, but um, again, the link is in the show notes. If you go over there and you click there, you can click on the donate button. But not, I know it not only want you to click on a donate button, I want you to read what these organizations are about. And so the third organization that received money was, you know, use the hashtag CPAC now, but N-A-A-R-P-R. And this particular organization is headed up by Frank Chapman. And for those of you who aren't familiar with Frank Chapman, he was one of the original founding members of, um, well, I'm not saying a founding, so we'll say he was one of the original members of the Chicago Black Panther Party. And Frank has been around a long time, and he's a great guy. As a matter of fact, we did a show with him Friday that I want you guys to check out. And on that show, we have Frank Chapman and Armanda Shackelford, and she's Gerald Reed's mom. And Gerald Reed was falsely incarcerated, forced to confess to a crime that he had not committed. And, you know, himself as well as over 100 other people are being wrongly incarcerated for crimes that they did not commit. And this happened during the John Burge era um, when he headed up the Chicago Police Department. But with this particular CPAC organization, they're fighting for everyone. And this organization was formed in 1973. And their history and track record, absolutely phenomenal. So you may want to go out and do some research on them. Again, I put the link up there. So, you know, I want you guys to support them as well. Now, if you're looking at the notes, you'll see a fourth link, and this is the Safe Haven Center. 
So let me explain who this is. So Safe Haven Center is a community center that in the process of being put together, if you will, is going to be on 54th and Halstead, yeah, 54th and Halstead here in Chicago. And Dorothy Holmes, her son, Ronnie Man, if you go and look up the hashtag, Ronnie Man, R-O-N-N-I-E-M-A-N, her son was murdered by the Chicago Police Department. Well, she joined forces with Marcy Gerald's mom, and you all may not remember the story of Marcy Gerald. Uh, Marcy Gerald was a young black woman who took her life after she was raped and went to trial. And, again, gaslighted, you know, had people out here, especially the the creep, you know, that committed the crime had, you know, basically made her feel as though it was her own fault. And so that baby took her life. And so these two mothers have found a way to come together and putting together a community center and giving back, just giving back. And so I 100% support them. Um, And so what I'm going to do is I'm buying items. And when I say items, I'm talking about toys, um, different things that they're going to need because it's not only going to be about, you know, children, but it's going to be about the community. So, like, things like uh, diapers, um, toddler clothing, infant clothing, you know, some of the women will probably be starting their lives over. So, you know, I'm going to give some of my old church and work suits and stuff that I don't wear anymore. Um, buy things like, um, you know, sanitary items, hygienic items, things like that that they're going to need to give to the people in the community as well as food and all of that. So I am putting together a package. I'm collecting stuff now. If you want to donate some stuff, um, you know, I got the link there. You can donate money. You can also leave a message and see how you can send resources to Dorothy for the Safe Haven Center. But all of the items and and the money that I collect, well, you know, for this Safe Haven Center, I'm going to donate it in the name of Freedom From Religion Foundation to encourage these, you know, women to continue to move forward and support the community. So please click that link, Safe Haven Center. They need some donations, not only financial donations, but they also need, you know, things. You know, if people are trying to go back to work, they're going to need work clothing, interview clothing. I mean, as a matter of fact, they want to hold workshops and things once they get everything set up. You can support them that way. You know, if you have something that you can give to the community and you want to have a workshop there, reach out. Let them know. Support them. Help them. And so I have a lot of love for Dorothy, a lot of love for Dorothy, and she knows this, and she knows I support her 100%, and we're going to be there, and we got some things to do. We got some work to do, so I'm trying to find a little bit of joy and a little bit of happiness, you know, after that damn hour of bullshit that I had to talk about what's going on with the Trump 
you know, administration and how they're treating people of color, more so black people in this country. And, oh, yeah, one thing I do want to say is for some of the black people that are out there saying, why am I talking about people in other countries and focused on other cultures? There's a reason for that because it's the right thing to do. And the the atrocities that they're dealing with, we can be dealing with the same damn thing here. As a matter of fact, we are. And I just don't understand. I don't understand, you know, some of the crap that I see people say. But one thing someone said today, which I 100% agree with, you, you know, there are quite a few Christians, whether you're white or black, that voted for Trump. And I still don't understand why, but I'm not trying to understand anymore. There's nothing to understand. It's done. And so it's just important. So let's just move on. So those of you that have been listening to this show since 2011, you know who I am. I'm Kim, Black Free Thinkers, People of Color Beyond Faith. You know, we've been talking about social justice activism before it became popular in the secular community before it was co-opted or attempted to be co-opted. No, I'm going to say it was co-opted. Ain't no damn attempt to it. It was co-opted in the secular community, you know, community activism, all of that. You know, all of this is a part of who I am, raised in a church. Those out there that know me, you know my mom and them, you know, and my granddaddy affectionately known as Daddy. <laughs> He's a minister. And we got many, many, many ministers in my family, which is interesting. And when I say my family, I'm talking about not only the blood family, but those that were married into the family and those that were adopted into the family, you know, and you know who you are. And I love you. And I'm sure you know that and you understand that. And so, yeah, don't take a lot of the stuff that I say personal because it's not personal. I'm just, you know, bringing certain issues to light. And so I really started questioning religion. For those that have listened, you know my story. 11, 12 years old, I'm like, this ain't making no sense. And nobody could answer my question. And I'd be told to go into my room and pray about it or read the Bible until the Holy Spirit gave me some insight. And, um, yeah, I'm still waiting on that, right? And so and let me let me qualify that. When I say I'm still waiting on that, what I mean is that, you know, there are things we can go out here, we can study, and and attempt to teach other people, but the best teacher is experience. And I remember growing up and talking to some of the older people, and we would go. We would go back and forth, and they were like, that's all right. And they were like, live a little, baby, and you'll understand. And I've lived a lot in this little bit of time. 
and I understand. And I honor those who came before me. And, you know, the ones that are coming after me are the ones that I worry about. Because as I've stated on this show, especially after what happened when Trayvon was murdered and Mike was murdered and Sandra was murdered, Ayana was murdered, Betty was murdered, Ronnie Mann was murdered. Come on now, the list goes on. Philando was murdered. We can go on down the list here. I feel that my generation, Generation X, I feel that we failed the generations behind us. However, I don't feel that it was done maliciously because our parents and our grandparents, they wanted us to have it better than they had. And I never understood what that meant until I got much older. And um, like I've stated before, I was a black Republican. And some of the people I admired, like Thomas Sowell and J.C. Watts and Walter T. Wilson, Tony Brown from Brown, Tony Brown's Journal, and I can name a number of people. I never liked Alan Keyes, so, you know, you can X them off the list there. But, um, you know, when I got to a certain age, that idealism, it doesn't necessarily just fall away. It's it's chipped away. And when I say it's chipped away, you have these different adversities, these different experiences that you go through. I tell people, and this is somewhat true, when you're in your 20s, You can get away with a lot of shit, but once you hit those 30s, it's over. And what's so unfortunate about that is that a lot of our black and brown and red young people and even Asian young people and some white, they don't think they're going to make it past 21, 22 years of age. And so, you know, where I was going with our parents and our grandparents wanting us to have it better than they did, You know, they wanted to give us the things that they didn't have. They wanted us to have opportunities that they didn't have. But what many of them failed to do while uplifting us and supporting us and encouraging us, they forgot, and I won't even say they forgot. I think it was just too damn painful for them to tell us what it was they were shielding us from what they were sheltering us from, what they went through. And that's one of the reasons why you have a number of us who cannot totally appreciate the things that we've been given and the sacrifices that they made is because they didn't tell us what they went through. And see, the thing that happened, the murders with Tony, you know, sorry, with Trayvon Martin, and the murder of Mike Brown and Sandra and all and Ayana and Betty and all these people. This has been happening all along, and this is what we've been telling people, white people, anybody who would fucking listen. 
And they didn't believe us, even with video and audio proof now, they don't believe us. And I'm not talking about all of them. I'm just talking about too many of them. And I need you to understand that. And so now that we're seeing this, and now that, you know, it's open season on black and brown people, especially black and brown and red youth, now we're seeing it. And what happened in Charlottesville, that should have made the hairs on the back of your arms stand up. And like I said, I did a show called White Supremacy So Wicked That Even White Folks Are Nervous. What happened in Charlottesville should have unnerved each and every fucking one of you out there. Because it wasn't the first time in Charlottesville. And it wasn't the first time in this country, and it's not going to be the last time. And until we start to understand and find a way to articulate, find the grammar, find the language in order to be able to share these experiences. Because, honey, let me tell you, you know, now that I'm older and talking to some of these elders and these seniors, they were fucking traumatized. And this is one of the reasons why they don't talk about those things. Because they're, they fucking relive it. They saw it. They went through it. They saw relatives being lynched and being killed. They saw relatives just getting beat out in the middle of the street for no damn reason just because some white dude was having a bad fucking day. And if they didn't beat him, in some cases, they shot and killed them with impunity. And so this is why I say that this shit with the Trump administration and his people ain't shit funny about it. It wasn't funny when we realized that he was serious about this run and we started saying stop laughing. It wasn't funny then and it's not fucking funny now. And this is why we're having, you know, some of the more magnified issues that we're having because I don't want you to sit there and to feel as though this is something new. This is something that just started happening. No, baby, this has been going on all along. It's just what happened is that that sore had a scab on top of it. And what Trump and his people did is they ripped that bitch right off that sore. And so what you're seeing now is what has been festering all along. What has been infected? This is not new, and this is why I'm saying that they are making you bow and worship white supremacy, and and there are way too many of you out here that do not understand what I mean when I say that, even though I've been talking to you for six years, and I post stuff that other people write. There are a lot of other people out here talking about this shit. We need you to do the work because, unfortunately, there are too many of you black, white, red, yellow, indifferent. What the fuck ever color you identify or non-color you identify with? Too many of you want us to do the work and you want us to simplify it and make it as easy as possible for you to understand so that you can go out and appropriate the language and steal the talking points and get paid. And there are way too many of you that are out here trying to get paid. And this is where the disconnect comes in. Because are you out here doing it for the right reason? When I think about 
what my mom and my aunts and uncles and especially my grandmother and great grandmother and you know my great aunts what they had to go through see they left Mississippi and they came to Chicago for a better life but little did they know that the north was just as racist as the south the only difference is the north was a little bit more subtle than they were in the south but they had to come up here and deal with a bunch of bullshit too so for those of you who are out there saying that, you know, it was better in the north, no, not necessarily. You know, so anyway, let me move on because just let me move on. And so um I have to say something about what's going on in these particular communities. And again, I've pointed at the black church. And the black church, you're fucking complicit with a lot of this. But what's so disheartening about that particular statement that I made is the fact that I know many of you who are being complicit with this, you don't even understand how or why. And that's what makes this unfortunate. And so getting ready to segue into something. So what's happening with this Trump administration and I like to I like to describe Donald Trump as that friend you can't take anywhere with you because they're gonna do something crazy and embarrass the fuck out of you, you know, <laughs> you know the one that your friends say yeah maybe next time you don't want to bring them, but um, you know they're trying to abolish the Johnson Amendment, and I talked about this and I'm gonna be really brief about this, and with the Johnson Amendment being abolished, what it will do is take power away from the IRS to be able to impose sanctions against churches that talk politics from the pulpit. And what I mean by that is endorse or disparage certain political politicians or policies that they disagree with. And so I'm going to tie that in with the fact that what Donald Trump wants to do is allow churches to start receiving donations and fundraise for politicians, basically turning them into a political action committee. You need to pay attention to that. And one of the reasons I know they're like, well, where did that come from, Tim? And why do you feel a need to talk about that? And, you know, and it may be rude to some of you, but you need to understand if that happens, and you have these churches out here being able to take in that kind of money. If you already think there's corruption in religion and in the church, regardless of denomination, regardless of, you know, if you're Christian, Muslim, D, all of the above, Z, check them all, whatever, um, it's going to be even more difficult to deal with some of these issues when some of these churches are being allowed tens of millions of dollars to spend as they wish 
on politicians of their choice, and in some cases, no accountability so they can use that money for whatever they want. You really think they're going to sit back and let us fight them when they got so much money on the line? I want you to think about that and let that marinate and get back to me about that because it's going to be a fight on our hands. And, you know, black churches out there, black pastors, preachers, ministers, I need for you to pay attention to what I'm getting ready to say to you now. It's only going to be a handful of you that are going to be given the opportunity to earn that kind of money. So the ones that are on this advisory council for Donald Trump, you know, I'm not saying that they're going to make it. I'm just saying they're going to make it and make some money. But not all black and brown churches are equal, and not all of you are going to be able to take those donations in like that because they're only going to allow so many of you to do that. And you need to understand that because what's so interesting is you start taking that money in. They're going to find a way to put your ass in jail and put you out of business. So you need to take heed and you need to pay attention. But... um. That's very dangerous, what they're trying to do there. And what they're trying to also do is take the so-called entitlement programs, which is our social safety net, and move it off the federal role and push it to these churches. I've talked about this time and time again. The Republicans are tricking the church, and they know that the church is not equipped, nor is it really motivated in general, to do that job, to disperse those monies, then what? They're going to fail, which is what they wanted anyway. And so it's going to be set up the same way as some of these other social safety net programs. I need you guys to understand that every year, your state receives so much money from the federal government, and it's the same amount of money for like Section 8, for um, public aid, you know, for LINK and all of that. But the more people they push off of the roll, they get to keep that money for their special projects. And you need to understand, they get to keep that money and do whatever the heck they want to do with that money. So... Don't fool yourself. Do not fool yourself at all because it all boils down to, it comes down to dollars and cents. It comes down to he who has the gold makes the rules, right? And for those of you that are out here having a fit because of the Affordable Care Act and um, in repeal was unsuccessful, Right, you need to understand that they are now trying to take away health care for children. So go, please go, go back, read the newspaper, find out what's happening, why they're doing what they're doing, and who it's going to affect. 
Okay, so health care for children, health care for children is basically they're they're flushing it down the toilet. So what are you gonna do about it? So anyway, getting back on topic here. Um yeah, I'm only gonna get to a bit of it. It's gonna be a part two. Sorry about that. Well no, not sorry. It's just a lot that needs to be talked about. And, you know, I need to talk about atheist organizing. I need to talk about social justice organizing. Um, just a number of things. And so what's interesting is... A lot of people out here, and I know you hear me moving papers around, sorry about that. A lot of people out here, they are taking these words, these movements, and they're exploiting people. And then you got some people out here exploiting themselves. And you have people out here attempting to make careers for themselves. They have their own specific agendas. And you need to be able to recognize it. And even if you can't recognize it immediately, you need to find ways to discern and determine who these people are. And so, you know, talking about secular organizing, I came into this community many, many years ago, around 2010, and we were all excited just to be finding other humanists, free thinkers, you know, atheists, agnostics of color, especially black ones, you know, because we were always told that atheism was a white thing. And when we started finding each other, just all this excitement and, yay, you know, just really happy about it, meeting new people, doing new things, having people you can share you know, your experiences with and, you know, and, and and talk to and learn with and grow from and just, it was just a wonderful thing. And so one of the issues for me was I did not see a lot of organizations or people in this community that was doing community outreach or social justice, what I tended to was a bunch of people and groups getting together for potlucks, parties, bar hopping, all of that. And there's nothing wrong with that, but that's never been my life. That's never been, you know, what I've been into. With the exception when I first moved down to Atlanta, that first year was nuts, but I had a good damn time. So anyway, you <laughs> But, um, yeah, you know, so then I saw people like Joe Zemecki and his outreach to the homeless and grief beyond belief, and I started seeing these groups pop up. As a matter of fact, I forgot about this until recently. I did a note on Facebook with the names of some atheist charities that were out there that, you know, people could call for help because I saw a lot of people, a lot of desperation out there at that time because you all got to remember this was around 2010, 2011, and people were still losing their homes due to the 
you know, the mortgage bubble bust, right? And people were losing their homes. People were losing their jobs. It was just a lot of sadness, you know, a lot of hurting, a lot of everything going on in this community. And all I can think about is where do these people go for help? And especially for those who no longer believed in in a higher being, no longer believed in a God, no longer believed in those things. So, you know, sometimes you hear me talking about how it's very difficult to navigate through these different emotions and feelings. As a non-believer, as an atheist, as an agnostic, as a faithist, as a, you know, humanist, whatever you want to call yourself, honey, you know, it's kind of hard to navigate these emotions and these feelings when the language that you grew up with, the language that you still hear, with the language that you still speak, when that language cannot fully articulate what you're going through and what you're feeling, and then also in some cases you feel that the language is inappropriate to use anymore because you're not in that place anymore, right? And so, you know, seeing all the hurt. And, you know, one of the things that I said at this conference is that you have hurt people helping hurt people. And, you know, people are having nervous breakdowns, you know, psychological breakdowns, committing suicide, a lot of that happening in these different communities, whether it's the secular community, the social justice community, the religious community, and so on. This is happening, and it's not being talked about. It's not being addressed. Yet they are still taking money away from mental health care services. They are closing down facilities. You know, when Ronald Reagan was in office, he closed down a lot of those transient hotels, and then they were releasing people from the asylums and from these hospitals and from prison, and they had nowhere to go. So they're wandering the streets, and they're committing crimes to, to survive, to live. And so in essence, they turned the jail they turn these prisons into a mental health care facility. And so, you know, I need to make you guys aware of that. The warden of the, the prison system here in Chicago is a psychologist. And she was brought in to deal with some of these issues, but again, You know, the money that the federal government gives each state remains the same, but yet they're cutting the programs, they're cutting the funding, they're closing down facilities, they're incarcerating more people, they're incarcerating people who should not necessarily be in jail. They need rehabilitation. They need places to stay. They need economic and educational opportunities. They need counselors to talk their way through some of the shit that they're dealing with on a day-to-day basis. And I don't understand, you know, why some of you are out here with the attitude of you don't know about it, you don't care about it. If it's not happening to you and yours, you don't give a shit. That is not how life is to be lived. That's me. And so I came into this community, and I didn't see a lot of 
social community outreach. And so I always felt that that was a bit disconcerting and strange. And so for a while, I didn't necessarily feel as though this was the place for me. You know, once you cross a certain line, and what I mean by that is when I finally accepted that I was no longer a black Christian, you know, your whole perspective changes in certain regards. And so it's like, well, who do I talk to? Because the people that are in your life, the people that were in my life, the majority of them were, you know, religious, church every Sunday and maybe, a, you know, a day or two out of the week, services, choir rehearsal, this, that, any other. And they're looking at me like, well, we all believe this, Kim. You're the only one that believes that. You're not thinking right. And it makes you question yourself. It makes you wonder. And so, again, you all have heard me talk on this show. You've heard me speak about um, Dr. Valerie Terrico, T-A-R-I-C-O. She did a seven-part series on xchristian.net talking specifically about cognitive dissonance, which helped me a lot because that's when I realized that I was not crazy. You know, <laughs> and that what I was feeling and the battle that was going on inside of me, I mean, it was a battle emotionally, you know, it was a battle psychologically because, you know, I'm swimming upstream and going against the grain and feeling as though I was out here by myself, which is what made it so inviting when we started finding each other on social media. But it didn't take long for someone to open that trap door. But that's a whole different story. But, um, you know, Valerie, Dr. Terrell had a very big impact on me, and so did Daniel Dennett, who was by far one of my most favorite people ever. And he's done some, you know, groundbreaking, amazing work regarding religion and and faith and belief and non-belief. And, you know, he had the clergy project helping people who were believers or disgruntled believers or non-believers and helping them make that transition. Because what you need to understand is that that is a very, very hard transition to make. And and with me, the hardest part for me to reconcile was for me to accept that this is really what I believe and accept the fact that I had been believing that for a long time. In my 30s, I went back to church you know, had a little pressure from an ex and some friends, and I went back and I was serious about it, and it was even worse than what I had remembered as a child. And so, you know, they tell you, you know, 
that things that you used to do and, and thoughts that you used to have as a child were childish and that you should grow up and see these things as an adult. And that is what I did and found out that it was more corrupt than I had originally thought in some ways. Because there are some churches that are out here doing good work. And as I've stated before, I'm not going to throw the black church in the black community under the bus. I'm not going to do it. I never will. And if that is what you are waiting for, you will be sadly disappointed. I've made myself quite clear about that. And, you know, we can move forward as long as you understand that. And what's, well, let me move on. Let me finish this. And so I started seeing more community outreach and, you know, it, it kind of renewed my faith, for lack of better words, in the secular community because I said, okay, so you have people out here that do care, that do give a damn that do understand that people need help. I remember when I would see all those GoFundMe's and I'd send a couple of bucks here, a couple of bucks there, you know, didn't have much myself, but I had enough to share, right? And so, you know, that was where I was, you know, where I was headed, and that was where the majority of my critique was there. And so I started getting more involved and most importantly, I started paying attention. See, at first, you know, you're here and you're having fun and you're not really paying attention to all the politics and, you know, everything that's happening behind the scene. And then once you start getting more involved and you yourself want to do some outreach, then you have no choice but to tap into into the communities and tap a little deeper into the inner workings and the politics of these communities. And so I started paying attention and seeing things that I did not like, that I did not respect, that I absolutely refused to endorse and promote then and Make, let me make myself very clear. I still will not promote that bullshit now. And so, you know, at that point, I'm looking at it, and then I'm looking at my experience with the religious community and their fucking mirror images of one another. And what happened at that point in my life is it made me pull back but it also made me pull back some of the criticisms that I had for the church because I saw the same behavior over here. And what I did is at that point I realized that it was about a state of the human condition. It didn't have anything to do with ideology, whether you're a person of faith or not of faith. Is human nature. And this is one of the reasons why you hear me saying people do not change. The only thing that changes are power structures. And I need you to go and do some research, and I've explained this to you, but i got to find a better way to break it down a lot easier because, unfortunately, I'm not breaking it down enough because not enough of you are getting it. And to understand how you're being used on both sides 
of this equation. And so, you know, you've heard me say atheism is not enough. Atheism alone is not nearly enough. And 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 that is what hit me. Felt like I was slapped with an anvil. And that was tough. That was really tough. That was hard to come to terms with because I thought things were so much better on this side of the equation. And let me tell you something. For those who were once believers and now are non-believers, I put a lot of blame on you for the fact that you know better. And many of you have brought that behavior over here. Now, many of you who were raised secular, I put a lot of blame on you too because you see what's wrong, but yet you're implementing it to capitalize off of it, and that's wrong too. And so, you know, I'm looking at both sides, and I'm like, I don't know if I belong to either side. I'm like trying to figure out what to do and what to say. And that is one of the reasons why I love the fact that my show is independent, and the T-shirt that I had on in the video said Unbought and Unbossed. That was by Shirley Chisholm, which I gave credit on the T-shirt. And, you know, I'm glad that I am in that position because I'm not going to allow anyone to shove their hand up my ass and start moving it around like I'm a damn puppet. There are no strings attached. What you see is what you fucking get. Like it or not, this is what you get. And this is how it's going to remain. So if that's your angle, that's your agenda, you're going to be frustrated with me. You're not going to know what to do with me. But, um, you know, but one of the things that I wanted to point out is that I see too many atheists, agnostics, humanists, skeptics, non-believers, faithists, nuns, even though not all nuns are part of the secular community. But I see too many of you pointing the finger at believers and blaming them for everything and attempting to shame them. That's wrong. They have their faults, but you do too. And shaming them is not going to help us advance and make any steps forward. We're going to have to work together. One thing I will say is the church does know how to organize, Mm -hmm. and they're experts at it. And it's something that's part of the community. And, you know, we can learn some things. We have learned some things, good and bad, from the church. So, you know, again, atheism alone was not nearly enough for me, but you're not going to make any progress in any of these communities, especially communities of color. You're not going to make any progress if you continue to scapegoat these people, scapegoat the people in the community. And this is where, you know, 
this is where the divide happens in some of these secular communities of color because you have one set of people that want to vilify, scapegoat, and blame the black church and the black community and lay the blame at their feet. And then you have others of us who want to build coalitions and work together and move forward for the greater good, for the betterment of all. And so it's kind of like trying to find a kindred spirit, for lack of better words, or a kindred common cause, common beliefs. And you have some people out here who would try to say, well, Kim, are you talking about ethics or morality? And I don't want to get into the argument or the discussion of what is moral, what's immoral, who gets to determine what's moral and what's immoral. That's not what I'm here to talk about. And so we're going to have to stop that shit and discourage people from doing that because we're never going to make it we're never going to make it anywhere. And you're going to continue to see these different groups separating, fighting, separating, pointing the finger, blaming one another, and we'll never get anything done. And so, you know, what's so interesting about that, and I'm going to skip because we're down to the last 10 minutes, And, you know, I'm going to read this quote from Martin Luther King that I gave at, that I spoke at the end of my talk. And Martin Luther King stated this in his letter from the Birmingham jail, and it's very poignant then and it's poignant now. And it goes, I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in his stride toward freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klaner, but the white moderate who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice, who constantly says, I agree with you in the goal you seek, but I cannot agree with your methods of direct action, who paternalistically believes he can set the timetable for another man's freedom, who lives by a mythical concept of time, and who constantly advises the Negro to wait for a more convenient season. Shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. Lukewarm acceptance is much more bewildering than outright rejection. And I agree with that. And you all have heard me talk about white liberal progressives and and the limitations that they put on people that they claim to be allies with. And so the minute you say or do something that makes them uncomfortable, you know, or or makes people question them, then they're 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 ready to push you out, push you away, so that you know their lives will remain convenient, remain comfortable. 
And this is where some of the bullshit comes in because you have certain individuals and organizations that are out here that have no problem being the buffer between communities of color and some of these so-called well-meaning white institutions and people. And what they do is they become that buffer and they try to cover and shield their sponsors from any critique or analysis from from people who are out here protesting and critiquing them, and especially if you're a person of color. So what they do is they try to present this image that, no, they're not wrong over there. See, I work with them. So, you know, there is diversity there. You know, I work with them. And so there is inclusion. They do include black people, and they want black people, and they want Muslims, and they want Latinos, and they want Asians and Native Americans and, you know, all of these people. They want them to be a part of this organization. Yet this same organization turns around and shits on the very same people that they say that they want as a part of their tapestry or their mosaic, whatever it is they're trying to present to the public. And so, you know, what happens there is we did a talk once talking about inclusion versus accommodation. So when you have a situation like that and and you have people of color covering for racist institutions and racist individuals by saying, well, no, they're not really racist. You misunderstood what they're saying. What they're doing is they're trying to put a filter in place so that they can control and dictate to you what you really are seeing and hearing. And it's, again, to give cover, cover to these people who are trying to claim something that they really are not. And unfortunately, too many of these people are trying to fulfill their own agenda by any means necessary. And so by by allowing and, and being a spokesperson for these people and institutions, they are being compensated in other ways. And unfortunately, a lot of the people who are being disenfranchised do not understand what's happening on the back end. They don't understand what the trade-off is. They don't understand how they're being sold off and how they're being corralled and how they're being manipulated and exploited, right? And then that's when you have someone like me pops in. And you have people that get angry and upset with me because I'm putting shit like this on Front Street. And some of them have stated, well, 
you know, maybe we need to do this in the background. Did you call them, email them? Did you send them a fax, a text message? What have you done besides, you know, trying to call them out in public? My response is the only thing that's going to do is slow down the progress and give you enough time to put together an alibi in the lot in an effort to spin the bullshit that you're selling to people. And so, you know, people out there, y'all listening to me, especially if you're of color, you are being commodified. They see you as a commodity. And we've talked about that, and I've explained it. I'm going to go more into detail. But let me tell you, if it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, it's a damn duck. You know, you may have other names that people, you know, a goose. (laughs) even though a duck and a goose is not the same thing, but I'm just saying you got some people out here that are very, very creative in how they try to twist this shit around. And so in my talk, I talked about how the secular community is having a hard time convincing black, brown, red, yellow, and some poor white of becoming a part of the community. They're having a hard time convincing them. And I stated that, you know, there are a number of reasons, but for those of you who are not familiar with what's happening, you know, Sam Harris um, had some very interesting thoughts on Black Lives Matter. He's also had some interesting thoughts on... The bell curve, and you know, is problematic. And so next week on the show, I'm going to compare or do a comparative analysis or contrast what Sam Harris has to say about people of color and Muslims, and what Donald Trump has to say about people of color and Muslims. There is a parallel there. And it's a fine line, it's a very thin line, but you need to understand the similarities. Tell truth of the matter, this is a damn three-part series because I'm going to have to really break that down and also talk about these other people and, you know, and I'm going to give you something to think about. The alt-right, alt-white, alt-light, white supremacists, Nazis, etc., so on and so forth, found a soft place to land in the atheist community. And if you're not paying attention, let me tell you what you need to look out for. Many of them brand themselves as firebrand atheists. So the alt-right community has a segment of them that that's a permutation, a permutation of the alt-right community that calls themselves firebrand atheists. And you need to pay attention to the rhetoric. You need to pay attention to the language. You need to pay attention to the people that are involved in this. Richard Spencer, Milo Yiannopoulos, you know, and a number of other people. 
Hey, we won't even talk about the drama with the mythicists or the mythicists. I did that on purpose. And what's going on over there with their alt-right lineup. There's a lot to talk about, baby. So you know what? Same place, same time next week, part two. Love you much. Thank you for your support. Have a good weekend now. All right. Love you guys. Good night. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.